Hello and welcome to the Real Gear Up podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and Semia markets. It's Tuesday, September the 6th. I'm Richard Woolley. And I'm Katerina Dassier. Coming up this week, our new head of EMEA Credit Research, Giulia Rusconi, will discuss the challenges that German plastic packaging group Klockner Pentablast is facing in the current macroeconomic environment. Primary reporter Beatrice Mavroleon joins us to talk about the current deals in the European leveraged loan market. Senior legal reporter Connor Lovell discusses a new winding up petition brought against Sinewold in the English courts. And senior legal analyst Shang Kereshi speaks about Nostrum Olinga's scheme of arrangement and what it tells us about the English court's approach to creditors who are sanctioned as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We'd like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Reorg has followed Klockner Pentaplast, the German plastics packaging group, since early 2021 when it issued its senior secured and unsecured notes due 2026. In the analysis we published on the credit over the past year, we took a fairly constructive tone. However, the macroeconomic environment since Russia's invasion of Ukraine has clearly changed things. So, Julia, what is the outlook now for KP? Yes, so now we are less optimistic on KP, in particular because of the inflationary environment and the rising interest rates. Um, it appears that the company managed to pass the, cre- the increase in input costs to customers, as you can see from the substantial revenue growth in the second quarter. Uh, which is almost entirely attributable to price increases. But the adjusted EBITDA margins remain at about 11%, which is below the level achieved in 2019 and in 2020. We anticipate that the business will be negatively impacted in the coming years uh, from high exposure to Europe and somewhat some, um, you know, its discretionary and markets. Manager has already noted in the second quarter earnings call that the volume has been suffering from lower demand due to supply and inflation. And lastly, um, the company's firstly and credit facilities bear floating rates. Uh, we know that the company holds interest rate swaps. Uh, and according to our calculation, 75% of the term loan is hedged. Um, however, this means that when you model an increase in the reference rate, uh, our base case generates an annual cash burn of about 20 million over the next couple of years. So this coupled with you know lower beta, it will be difficult for um, KP to meaningfully deleverage, and at the moment, total leverage is already quite high, it's about nine times. So, what's your view then on the 2026 bonds? Uh, I'm just, just looking at the recent levels. We have the senior secureds quoted at about 85 and yielding 9.5%, while the senior unsecureds are quoted at about 70 and are yielding 17.5%. So the price of the senior unsecured, as you said, is 70, about 70. And in our view, this reflects uh, both the risk that the group will be unable to meaningfully deleverage, as I just said, as well as the position of the unsecured notes below all the debt tranches. 
Um, and we assess that the group's loan to value under our waterfall analysis is quite high. It's like 94%. So this implies that, yes, the bonds are fully covered, uh, but there is a very thin equity cushion supporting the unsecured, which could make a refinancing quite difficult. And then on the other hand, the secure bonds benefit from having the senior notes, uh, which serve as a buffer below them. Uh, but the yield of about 90% uh, on these notes um, is not particularly attractive in our view. Um, if you compare it, for example, to the yield of the bonds issued by other manufacturers exposed to inflation, which are also better rated, it's not so attractive. Uh, and I'm talking about, for example, the yield of the bonds issued by Omtex, which is a Belgian personal gene producer, um, the yield on the bonds from uh, WEPA, which is a German tissue and hygiene paper producer, which we talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, we are more optimistic regarding Ontex and WEPA's deleveraging trajectory. And we also believe that both companies have stronger fundamentals um, than KP, given the non-cyclical and stable demand for, for the products. Okay, so the question then is, are there any hard triggers coming up on these notes? No, there are no hard triggers in the near term. And this is the positive thing about um, KP. Um, the next largest maturity is in 2025 when the group's uh, 150 million RCF expires. Uh, we do not forecast liquidity shortfall under the base case and we model the KP can draw uh, on the RCF when needed. Um, there is a spring and covenant uh, that is effective when the RCF is drawn by more than 40%, but we don't see um, the company breaching this threshold in the foreseeable future, at least. Um, of course, this is based on, on our assumptions of uh, also of minimum operating cash level and our free cash flow forecast, which of course could, could differ from uh, under different scenarios. Beatrice Mavrolian is our reporter for all things related to the European primary market. And after a quiet summer, in terms of new issuance, she's been looking at some of the new deals that have come to market recently. Last week, the primary market came back to life with Dutch bicycle manufacturer Axel marketing a €700 million Euro term loan B to support the company's acquisition by a consortium led by KKR and betting group Flutter Entertainment marketing a 1 billion euro equivalent dollar-denominated term loan B to support the company's acquisition of Italian online gaming group um, Sizal. Investors ha have had a bit more time to look at Axel, as Flutter's deal only came to the market on Friday and the US market was closed for Labor Day yesterday. The borrower is hosting a call today at 4pm, so we expect it to collect more views on the deal after that. Looking at Axel in a bit more detail then, we know that, that more than half of the company's revenue comes from e-bikes, with the remaining amount generated by bicycle parts sales, traditional bikes, and a small cargo business. The company has benefited from the trend of more environmentally friendly types of transport, which was also boosted by the need for social distancing during the pandemic. However, investors highlighted the discretionary nature of the e-bikes. In the context of um, a looming economic downturn, accelerating inflation and a cost of living crisis, some buy-siders raised questions about the company's future performance. However, other, others have countered this argument, saying that the group caters primarily to affluent customers, many of whom are dedicated to cycling as a form of transport, and that they will be less impacted by the cost of living crisis. 
The company's performance has been strong with growing revenue, and it, it, it is able to pass through cost increases to customers, one investor said. However, the revenue increases are largely dr driven by the company increasing its prices rather than selling larger volumes, he said. The company benefits from a portfolio of well-known local brands and has good geographical diversification. However, it also has some degree of supplier concentration. Liquidity is robust, with an equity contribution of almost 1.3 billion euros and a new 180 million euro RCF. The margin on the loan is currently at um, Eurobor plus 500 basis points, with the OID still to be decided. Commitments are due on Thursday, September 15th. UK-listed cinema chain Cineworld continues to reel from the after-effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this month, Reorg reported that the company is considering filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the US. We have senior legal uh, reporter Connor Lowell uh, with us today, who has followed the company closely. Connor, what's the latest on this household name? Cineworld clearly anticipates a possible liquidity crunch and has been holding talks with lenders for some time. However, in the past couple of weeks, the company has served with a winding up petition in the English High Court by one of its landlords. The amounts owed are relatively trivial, around £3 million, but it does shed further light on the company's cash flow issues. And uh, can you explain the importance of winding up petitions for our listeners? Yes, the petition is a bit of a nuclear option. It will result in the company being wound up, but only if it's clear that the company is incapable of repaying the debt. In this case, the landlord was owed rent, which accumulated during COVID lockdowns. Um, last year, the High Court ordered the company to pay. Cineworld subsequently lost an appeal against that decision and was ordered to pay the sums by August the 11th. The day before the deadline, Cineworld explained that the money was in the process of being transferred from the United States. And a week later, the company said it was, quote, working through a process to facilitate payments to key commercial parties. So they still hadn't paid. By this time, the landlords had inferred from public statements that the company was very likely to become insolvent. The hearing on the matter is scheduled for October the 5th. However, this will very likely be stayed by any Chapter 11 filing due to a worldwide moratorium on enforcement. Since a UK entity is a key operating company, this could incentivise the group to file before that date. A real waterfall analysis shows that in the case of a filing, the group's term loan lenders will likely receive the lion's share of the group's equity. Shan Kereshi is a senior analyst in a London office, and I spoke to him earlier about Nostrum, the oil and gas group, which recently had a scheme of arrangement approved by the English High Court. And I asked how this feeds in with the current Western sanctions on Russia. Kazakhstan-focused Nostrum Oil and Gas has achieved sanction of its English law scheme of arrangement. Now, this is thanks to what I view as a flexibility and pragmatic approach of the English courts. Now, the reason why this scheme is notable is because over 7% of scheme creditors were actually disqualified persons under sanctions related to the war in Ukraine. So the scheme company, Nostrum, found itself restricted as to how it could deal with those disqualified persons and had to apply for licenses from the relevant authorities in the US, the UK and the EU in order to proceed with its comprehensive financial restructuring. Now, the sanction judgment provides us with some guidance as to forget for debtors who may have creditors who are subject to sanctions. In my view, the, the salient points are as follows. So firstly, it's important to note that the sanctions imposed by the US authorities 
appear to be significantly more stringent than those opposed by the UK or the EU. What this means is the US sanctions mean that a formal notice of a scheme creditor meeting cannot be circulated to any scheme creditor until an Office of Office for Foreign Asset Control Licence or OFAC licence is granted. Only then can non-sanctioned scheme creditors receive notice. Further, where an OFAC licence is granted, scheme creditors who are disqualified under sanctions cannot receive that notice and certainly can't vote, vote in person or by proxy on the scheme proposal. All three sanctioned authorities, the UK, the US and the EU, provide that persons disqualified under sanctions obviously cannot receive any scheme consideration until they are no longer subject to the sanctions. A disqualified person who is a scheme creditor, however, does not lose their right to scheme consideration. Instead, such scheme consideration can be held on a bare trust for that creditor until they're no longer subject to the sanctions. Licenses from the UK, US and EU sanctions authorities are likely to be needed where a debt for debt or a debt for equity scheme or restructuring plan is being implemented and certain scheme creditors are disqualified persons. Finally, a moratorium structure whereby scheme creditors are stayed from enforcement for a period of time pending the obtaining of sanction license is an acceptable structure to the English High Court. So overall, this decision demonstrates that the English courts will be pragmatic in allowing schemes and certainly by continuation restructuring plans to be approved despite there being outstanding conditions to completion. I suspect that as the war and, and sanctions continue, we'll see more of this. We can at least expect some certainty of outcome from the English court. On September the 13th, Shan will be discussing the first use of the Part 26A restructuring plan in the SME market by Hoost Limited, with the advisors on the deal Marcus Haywood from South Square, Andrew Dalton from BTG Advisory and Kunal Gadvi from Erwin Mitchell. The panel will discuss cram down with respect to the UK Tax Authority and explore the interaction between the allocation of a restructuring surplus and the relevant alternative order of priorities. We'll also explore how the English court is becoming pragmatic when it comes to SMEs using the restructuring plan and ask whether we may see more creative deals in the future. For those of you who prefer in-person events, on Wednesday, September the 28th, we are hosting a reception with Natasha Harrison, one of the 100 most influential women in European finance and founding partner of the law firm Palace Partners, who will be speaking to us about her remarkable career and pioneering gender diversity at law firms. More details about both events are available on the Reorg website. More information on all of the situations discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.